Welcome to the Solo 2.0 podcast, where two sisters, Jess and Rye, focused on health and hormone balance to help you step into that 2.0 version of you. Growing up, we heard all about hormones, sometimes more than we wanted, from our mom, who is a hormone health educator. As we got older, we rebelled and experienced our own health struggles and ups and downs. But today we have businesses helping people get in tune with their bodies, break free from restrictive eating and lifestyle habits, and learn how to balance their hormones naturally. So what can you expect from this podcast? Honest conversations and hot topics that should be more mainstream, like period health, cycle tracking, non-hormonal birth control, and our unique take on fad diets and trends that aren't always so supportive for women. Plus, interviews with health and wellness entrepreneurs making a big impact in the world. Ladies, it's time we align with our powers and redefine what healthy means to us. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. This is Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. And normally I am joined by my sister, my amazing co-host, Rye Birch, who is the co-founder of our family business, Your Hormone Balance. But today you just have me solo in the intro and with our guest, Rye and I are both equally as excited about this episode, though, because we are finally sharing our long-promised, long-overdue Fertility Part 2 episode. And rather than share another solo episode, we decided to bring on an expert to help guide us through our questions and support both ourselves and, of course, you, our lovely listeners, and understanding our body and how to support fertility without overwhelm. If you didn't get the chance to listen to our part one episode, I'll link it in the show notes to make it super easy for you to find. But essentially, Rye and I are sharing where we're at with the whole kid conversation, the pressures that we feel as we are in our 30s. You know, she's 33. I just turned 37. Um, You know, the the ticking clock that we sometimes feel that we have um, and that we do have in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, I I shared for sure just not being 100% about kids in general, you know. And so, in sharing that episode and even before recording that episode, I shared what I was going through on Instagram and had so many women reach out sharing similar sentiments and their journeys with either fertility struggles or fertility successes and just really relating to the whole conversation. And we had a great response to that episode. And so we wanted to follow up with a part two and I'm really looking forward to sharing it with you because our guest Heather Rodriguez is a wealth of knowledge. And I think that she's going to make you feel really supported in this area. So before we dive into Heather and all that she's about I wanted to go back to why Rai is not able to join for this episode. She has been working around the clock, I kid you not, to publish our new website in time for a webinar that we hosted this week. And so being that she's super exhausted, I encouraged her to take a breather this morning and that I would chat it up with our guest. But even though she's bummed to be missing this episode, she's really excited to tune in. And I am personally so stoked to share with you our new website, yourhormonebalance.com. That's gotten a facelift, a fresh look, and she is totally responsible for coming up with all of that and working with our designer to bring it to fruition. And on there, you'll see our brand new symptom quiz at the top, a look inside our new build your own test and rebalance packages and options to add an a la carte consult with one of our hormone health educators, which includes yours truly. You can book a session with me, which has always been an option, but we, we didn't have the a la carte in the way that we do now. So that's really exciting. And if you don't know, we are a family business. Our mom, Candace is the founder. She's a hormone health educator with over 30 years experience in the field. 
And we help women advocate for their hormonal health. We help them get to the root of the symptoms they're experiencing through saliva testing, custom rebalancing guides. We also have a course. We're going to be launching a new one in the new year. Um, and just all natural supportive tools to rebalance. And we love what we do. We're really passionate about it. And we've worked with a lot of women in making major changes in their life. So, and just feeling better because we all deserve to feel better. And so many of us have been dismissed by doctors or um, even sometimes by our own community or just left to feel hopeless or, you know, prescribed some medication that's not really helping, that's acting as a band-aid. And so we really, really want to help build a community of women that feel like they're not alone and that there are steps that they can take naturally to make a real shift in how they show up in this world. And so if you haven't already taken our quiz, it's a great way to uncover whether or not hormones might be playing a role in symptoms like acne, weight gain, low libido, irregular periods, fertility struggles, PMS, painful periods, hot flashes, the list goes on. And after you take the quiz on the website, you'll be emailed your results and also get some amazing free resources that we've put together to support you even further. Okay, so about our guest today, Heather Rodriguez is a natural fertility specialist passionate about empowering women to become their best health advocates. She has been a fertility specialist since 2007 and has helped women support their health naturally for over 20 years. If you're someone who wants to take charge of your health and transform how you feel through natural therapies, nutrition, and lifestyle habits, she would love to be your guide. Heather's website, naturalfertilityinfo.com, has hundreds of free articles and guides to help you on your journey, as well as self-led programs, workshops, and consultations. In this episode, Heather and I dive into how to advocate for your own body and support natural fertility, as well as the myths that fertility all just comes down to the woman being responsible, or that being in your upper 30s means it's too late to conceive naturally. We touch on some of the main hormonal imbalances linked to fertility struggles, as well as the importance of ovulation and charting your cycle and temperature changes throughout the month. As an herbalist, Heather shares really tangible tips for ways to improve fertility via realistic nutrition, herbs, stress management, and reduction of xenoestrogens. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, so I hope you feel really seen and supported and be sure to subscribe, review, and share the episode as a way to help us keep spreading awareness around women's health and bringing on amazing guests like today. All right, well, let's call up our fertility expert, Heather. Hello. Hi, Heather. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you on fertility. And I have been, I was sharing with you earlier, I've been following you for a couple of years now. I found you through a podcast. I think it was the Fertility Friday podcast, which might've been a while back. Um, yeah, that was quite a few years yeah. ago that you were on that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a while ago. Yeah. And I loved that. I loved the knowledge that you shared and just your whole outlook on fertility and how to support women in a really natural way. And, um, I also love that you're an herbalist. I, I, that's something I would love to add to, you know, my credentials at some point, I think it's so such a wonderful skill to have and just connects you more with the earth and, um, to your body. And so, 
Yeah, I, I welcome you to the podcast. My sister couldn't be here today, but she's very excited to tune in later because she had a lot of questions. So I'm going to make sure we get to that. Um, but as I was sharing with you before we hit record, uh, for those of you listening, you may have remembered that Ryan and I recorded a solo episode way earlier in the year about where we're sort of at in life with wanting to have kids or not wanting to have kids. And Rye's 33. I just turned 37. And, you know, she has always known that she wants to be a mom. She's just always had that maternal instinct. She loves kids and she's always known. But right now our business, our family business really is her baby. She's working around the clock on, on that. And, and I'm at this point where, you know, my husband and I are both very 50, 50, whether or not we want to have kids and we love kids. We really do. Um, if the way that we treat our dog is anything like the kind of parents we would be, (laughs) then I'm pretty sure we'd be good parents. Um, but we just, we're really 50, 50 and it's not because we don't love kids. It's not because we don't see ourselves being great parents. It's more so that we're both entrepreneurs. We have our own businesses and we're in this growth mode right now. And we cannot imagine being able to factor a child into that right now. Um, and it's just, it's, we can't envision it at this point. And so a lot of it honestly comes down to where we're at with our businesses and financially and just not being super pulled to it at this moment, but then also having this fear of like, oh no, am I getting too old? You know, what if I decide, oh, let's wait. And then in six months or a year I'm ready, but then I can't, you know, I'm not able to, I struggle with my fertility and my sister has the same concerns, even though she's younger, she still doesn't feel like she's going to be ready for a couple of years. So we promised the listeners we do a part two on this and just either talk about it ourselves or have a fertility expert on to kind of help calm us down a little bit and also provide the listeners with some really tangible tools and takeaways for, you know, how you can prep and prime your fertility, um, even if you are, you know, in your mid to later 30s. And so I know it was kind of long-winded, but I just wanted to kind of start by Heather asking you, is this something that you've found to be a common thread in clients that you work with? And how do you kind of ease that fear or, um, you know, these, I guess all these just conflicting thoughts in our brain of like, oh no, am I ready? Am I not? Like, is it possible? What if it's not? How do you work with clients around that to kind of support them? Hopefully that makes sense. It definitely makes sense. So a lot of uh, women that reach out and work with us are definitely over 35. So that's a large portion of who we work with. So I think that they have felt the same way that you are currently experiencing, but now they've gotten to the point where they're like, okay, I am now ready. So it's pretty common. Um, you know, so for, first of all, for someone who, what I would say to someone who's not quite ready yet, but they are they do have a strong want to possibly someday. There are different tests you can take that will kind of help to give you a window of your ovarian reserve. Um, you know, if there's things that you should be concerned about. Uh, generally, if you are experiencing any type of hormonal imbalances, they would be showing up now for the most part. So if you have really wonky cycles, if you have really strong PMS, really long cycles, short, those types of things are going to kind of point to the hormonal state within your body. So if you have a lot of health stuff going on, um, that's something that you could currently be working on, even though you're not ready to necessarily get pregnant right now, because you kind of want those things out of the way. And some of them can actually affect fertility or your pregnancy. 
um, mm-hmm. or make them harder to experience. Some of those being like PCOS, endometriosis, fibroids, those types of things. Um, you can start working on now because they do take some time. Yeah. So that end when you're ready or if you want, if you're ready, that's kind of out of the way. So that's something that could be focused on now. Um, something else is really learning about your body. And this is probably one of the biggest messages that I promote because I'm all about empowerment, women empowerment, self-empowerment and learning how to fertility chart and really know your cycle and when your fertile times are, is going to help you to become pregnant or to avoid pregnancy. Currently it's a natural form of birth control. Um, so those are some things that can be done in the meantime, if, if you're like actively pausing and waiting. (laughs) So those are, you know, some things that you can do, but you know, as we do get older, that does affect the health of our eggs that affects our egg reserve, um, can affect our hormones because we're on this earth longer. We're exposed to environmental toxins longer. We're exposed to stressful lifestyles, yada, yada, all that stuff for a longer period of time. So that's going to be affecting our cells. Um, most importantly, those being our ovum. So it does age does play a factor, but I find a lot of women stress out just because of their age. And age isn't the only factor. There are some women who, uh, everyone's unique. So just because you're 40 or 37 or whatever the number is, doesn't automatically mean that you're going to have trouble getting pregnant at all. Um, there are women who are much younger that have trouble because of some other type of imbalance. So I wouldn't overly stress out about it, but do know that it does play a factor and there are things you can do to help support yourself, but each person's going to be different in kind of what's happening for them. And the same impacts men as well, a little bit older, but no one ever talks about that. Um, So it's very similar for men as well, but it's just, I feel like women carry most of the responsibility. It seems like, especially with who reaches out. Yeah, that's so true. And I love what you said about, it's not just the age. It's interesting how we, we get to this age and we think we put it all on the age, like, Oh, I'm this age. And now I'm not going to be able to. And I think a lot of that goes back to that term geriatric pregnancy that used to be around where it's, like, I, that was on my chart. And I was what 32 or something when I was pregnant. <laughs> I looked at my chart. Like, Are you kidding me? Did you just, what? Could you come up with a better name? It's <laughs> awful. Yeah. It's awful. It's like, are you, are you actually kidding me? Are we what, what was that at 30? You're considered a geriatric pregnancy. It's crazy. Yeah. So that probably kind of did not help at all. And, and so, yeah, we have this sort of age limit in our minds. And I think there's also a lot of pressure from family, you know? Um, Mm. I mean, how many moms are like, hello, when am I going to be a grandma? I want to be a grandma. I know that you know, moms, dads can put the pressure on, or maybe if you were raised in a really religious household or you, you know, you were raised a certain way, maybe your parents did things a certain way and kind of expect you to go down the same road, or you're seeing your younger sibling getting pregnant and maybe, you know, you're not sure if you want to, or maybe you're struggling and then you're comparing yourself to them or, um, you know, other friends in your life. So I think that plays a huge role as well. And then, yeah, we put all of the pressure and all of the burden on ourselves without reminding ourselves, well, you know, our partners, if, you know, we're with a male partner also play a big role in all of this. So yeah, I'm curious, how do you kind of support, um, the male and female partners that come to you and, and recognizing that? Well, a lot of times, definitely the female partner will be who reaches out. So I always will bring it up either, uh, you know, they'll, they'll say, I went for testing, everything's fine, 
but we haven't been able to get pregnant for a couple of years. Like that's, that's generally how the conversation would go. So there's a series of questions that we would end up asking. And one of them is, has your partner been tested? And you would be surprised at the amount of times the answer is no. They haven't been tested. Either they don't want to, or they just haven't. And she is the female partner has been through every single thing, including HSG, including a lot of really invasive and very uncomfortable tests. Yet, you know, this very easy <laughs> test to yeah. get done hasn't happened yet. So it's really, you know, um, there's a lot of empowering that happens. A lot of those types of conversations, like let's just go and get this done. Because what if it was this? There's like three things that they can have, you know what I mean? Compared to women, very straightforward for men, what they can do, what they need to do. Um, so a lot of times it's, and also making sure that they've had all the tests done. Cause a lot of times they maybe have just seen their general practitioner and they've had a couple of things done, um, but they haven't seen a specialist or, you know, those types of things. So it's really kind of empowering them to get as much information as they can. And then moving forward with that information and not just kind of guessing in the dark, especially after 35, 37, those ages, I like to, um, people to really have a clear idea of what's going on so that they can move powerfully forward and not being afraid of that, not being afraid of getting testing or getting more information or seeing a specialist. It doesn't mean you have to go forward with what they suggest. Um, but with that information, you can see what all your options are. Yeah. What is the name? Is there a name of a test that you, um, recommend specifically? It's going to be different for each person, depending on what's like how their health is showing up, what's, what's representing for them. A lot of common tests that I suggest that are generally missing happen to be thyroid based. So full panel thyroid, um, that's something that is kind of one of those hidden, uh, imbalances that have a huge link to fertility that the ranges that practitioners deem okay or satisfactory vary really greatly. So oh, yeah. that one's pretty big, especially for um, preventing miscarriage, regular ovulation, progesterone production, those types of things. Um, so thyroid's a big one that I always ask about uh, that a lot of times, either their general practitioner says a number that's fine that a re- uh, reproductive endocrinologist would be like, no, that's way too high. So those yeah. are some, that's one of them. And what about the male test? Well, he would just get a sperm test. Um, yeah. Within a sperm test, they're going to look at motility, morphology, how the sperm's moving. Does it have double tails? Is it looking weird? Um, is it, you know, how is it moving? Does it have two heads? <laughs> you know, those types yeah. of things. They physically take a look uh, to see what's happening. And then they also look at sperm count. Um, sperm count over the years and last 50 years has steadily declined over a period of time. And it has not gone, it's not going back up. So it's definitely something that, is showing up that men are being affected by both by environment and also hormonal imbalances for men as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a simple test that they would take mm-hmm. giving a sample. Yep. Yep. I think that's a really important takeaway. So, you know, as I shared with you, we offer, um, hormone testing through our family business, your hormone balance. And we, we do saliva testing. I know that, you know, urine can also be really amazing as well. Um, but a lot of times, you know, we see, hormonal imbalances that show up with women that are struggling to conceive. And, um, a main one is estrogen dominance, uh, high estrogen relative to progesterone and, you know, just low progesterone in general. So I would love for you to kind of touch on that and the importance of having a healthy balance of estrogen and progesterone and how low progesterone, um, can be linked to fertility struggles and, or, um, uh, miscarriages. That's such a good question. So this is one of the main areas I think that we tend to educate on because it's one of the most common misconceptions and 
common issues that we see. So um, there's estrogen dominance and then there's low progesterone. So a lot of people, when they approach the low progesterone topic, all they're focusing on is how can I increase my progesterone? But I really love to educate for people to take a step back and really understand how progesterone is produced and why it's being produced. And it all comes back to ovulation. So if someone is not ovulating, they're naturally not going to have very high amounts of progesterone being produced. So generally someone would just focus on the progesterone and do something to increase it, like progesterone cream or herbs or whatever it is. But if they're not ovulating, then it doesn't even matter. So when we take a step back and we're looking at why aren't they ovulating, that's more the approach that I like to take and what I like to focus on is really looking at that. Um, so not ovulating, what's the reason for that? So if we can have someone begin ovulating again, their progesterone levels most likely will be healthy or will increase. Now, if someone's experiencing estrogen dominance, they may never be able to naturally produce enough progesterone to counterbalance that. So with estrogen dominance, we're then looking at what are the causes of estrogen dominance. A lot of that is our environment, uh, xenohormones, things found in our um, skincare, body care, plastics. There's so many different chemicals in our environment that mimic estrogen, but they do so in a very, very strong way, much stronger than what our body would do. So very small amounts on a daily basis actually add up and they can stimulate um, the receptor sites to also produce more estrogen. <laughs> so it's this uh -huh. whole cycle that ends up happening. Um, and that's how it can quickly begin, you know, getting out of balance. So there's a, you know, you would need to look at it from a lifestyle factor first and removing and helping the body to get rid of um, any of those excess hormones and then working towards balance. You wouldn't want to just work towards balance and still have the inputs of the xeno hormones and those things coming in. Stress, there's a lot of other things too. Stress can do it. Um, but yeah, so you want to remove the cause being that being very important. Yeah. Okay. So let's kind of break that down even further. Um, starting with the estrogen dominance, because that one, you know, we see a lot and yep. And, you know, like you said, there's so many different factors that play a role. And I think, you know, even the, you know, not eating grass-fed meat or wild-caught fish and having conventionally raised meats and, you know, eating fish that have been fed corn and um, produce that's been sprayed with pesticides. And, you know, sometimes we look at that and we think, does that make that big of a difference? But it really does. But it can feel overwhelming when it's like, oh, well, so I have to eat 100% organic. Can only eat paranoid. Yeah. I have to like remove every single toxin in my house. Like, can I even have this candle lit? I might have more estrogen dominance, you know? And yeah. you become really paranoid and really stressed out about it. And then that stress raises our cortisol levels, creates more further imbalances in the body can actually halt ovulation, you know, which is opposite of what we're trying to do. So how do you sort of the xenoestrogens, they accumulate, how do you support, um, a client in reducing the burden without feeling more stressed about it? Okay. Yeah. So there's a couple different things. The first is currently in our lifestyle making switches is so much easier than it's ever been. I've been a health food girl for my entire life. So mm -hmm. back in the day, switching your body care products, or your hair care products was a sacrifice. Like it was like, all right, my hair is freezing now, but I'm using something natural. Whereas now the makeup, the skincare, the hair products are just as good or even better than what we're replacing. So it's not a sacrifice anymore in that way. So that's really great news. Like the makeup works well, it looks great. Yeah. Um, so doing those types of switches is not very hard because that's just a purchase. What 
ends up being tough is any of the lifestyle factors that are daily habits that that would change. So say like you do switch out your candles, like that's pretty easy. Just next time you buy a candle, you know, try the beeswax with essential oils or whatever. Um, but what ends up being a little bit more is some of the things that you would do to actively help the body to get rid of um, excess hormones. So I'm a big um, educator on cleansing and helping the body and its natural abilities to get rid of these things. The body's already doing this. It's just when we have more burden than we were designed to have, it's really great to help support the body to get rid of that, to detoxify that. So a couple of ways you do that. I really love using herbs. I love using diet. Nutrition plays a really big role, especially fiber. So eating a diet high in fiber is going to help the body and its natural ability to get rid of excess estrogen. Um, foods high in fiber are going to be whole foods. Like that's the simplest shortcut to anything I say about nutrition is eat as many whole foods as you can. Um, not necessarily having to, to cut out everything, but like focus on how much can I get in more so than what it is. Do I have to avoid every single thing? Cause it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so those are two of the main ways that I focus on is going to be through nutrition and cleansing. And then as you run out of things, switch them. They do make a difference because of their micro exposures. So it may not seem like, oh, well, what difference is this lotion going to make? But you put on, I mean, I think that the last statistic I saw, we put about 50 products throughout the entire Crazy. day on our bodies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think um, I do. I, I don't. But yeah, I think yeah. That's, that average is pretty insane. But I also don't dr get dressed up and go to work. So for, for people- I know, that's do, the new- Yeah. I actually do. I work from home, but I still get, I totally get dressed up. Oh, um, just because I've worked from home for so long, I have to, you know, I'm oh, like, I, love like, I get bored. <laughs> I need to do that. I need to do that. I know I put a little makeup on for you today. So oh, thank you. I got my Alia, which is one of my favorite non-toxic brands. Oh, on. it's such a great brand. I love their mm -hmm. lipsticks. Yeah, yeah. They're awesome. Sorry. I just totally sidetracked us, but no, but see, it's like all their yeah. products are fun. Like it's not, you know, it's not this huge sacrifice. I think they're, they're better quality. So for me, it's like, you know, it's a no brainer with that. But mm -hmm. um, when it pertains to the stress, because I think that's such a great thing that you brought up is like, if we're kind of obsessing or focusing too much on this, isn't this going to cause extra stress? It's that kind of stress is going to be short term until it's more of a habit, the things that you're doing. So that kind of stress isn't necessarily going to be every single moment um, as you add these new habits in. But I like to look at it as if you're doing 80% good, then that's great. It's not about perfectionism. It's more about consistency in the areas that you can have it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always love to say it's not about what you do some of the time, but it's about what you do most of the time that counts. So, you know, ask yourself, what does your most of the time look like right now? And if it's, you know, flipped the opposite way, then maybe, you know, consider looking at that. But if some of the time you're lighting a candle, that's not, you know, that's not a hundred percent or you're using a lotion. That's your favorite that you just can't part with. That's okay. As long as, you know, most of the time you're focused on making these switches and to your point, it can be really empowering. It can be really fun. And, um, I don't know if you've heard of the app. Have you heard of the app Clearia? No. So it's kind of like the environmental working group skin deep database. You can okay. go in the app and you can enter in your products that you're currently using, and it will give you a lot of great swap outs and kind of rate your current products on a scale. So you can kind of see and prioritize based on that. So if you have a product that's maybe, you know, a nine out of 10, you might want to swap that out faster than the product. That's like a six out of a 10. Um, and I then it will that. give you some suggestions. Yeah. So it helps you to, you know, make it not so overwhelming. And then like you said earlier, if something's running low, then as soon as it's out, just replace it instead of feeling like, oh no, I have to throw everything out overnight. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that swap app. That sounds great. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Okay. So, and then you talked about fiber, which I definitely want to go a little bit deeper into because, um, I believe it's, it's between five and 10% of the population gets the recommended daily value for fiber. Um, so basically, you know, most people are not getting the amount of fiber that that's recommended. And why is fiber, so important. It's not sexy. You know, it's not been sexualized in the same way that protein has. And so (laughs) people just hear fiber and it's like Metamucil or, you know, beans. And, you know, I don't, I think that that's changing, but at the same time, the majority of clients I work with, at least when we first start working, have no idea what the primary sources of fiber are or even how to get it in. So can you touch on the importance and how to sneak it into your diet in a way that's really easy and enjoyable? Okay, perfect. So there's two different reasons that fiber plays a big impact. The first is it's going to help the body to have everything continue to move as it should. So a lot of times we think going to the bathroom once a day is like the goal. Yay, we have healthy digestion. And that's like the minimum, in my mind, the bare minimum, like I'm doing good. I'm healthy. Um, So fiber is obviously going to play a big role in keeping things moving along. So that's going to play a big impact on digestion. Also fiber feeds a lot of the um, good bacteria in our system. That also ties into hormonal health. So there's some factors with fiber there as well. Uh, One of the main things I teach about fiber though is with uh, blood sugar balance, which affects hormone balance as well, uh, especially for women experiencing PCOS, estrogen dominance, those types of things because of helping to balance out blood sugar and the release of sugars in the system. The last part is the actual helping the body to get rid of the estrogen and binding to it and having it removed from the body. That is one of the main ways it it leaves the body. Um, So making sure you're getting plenty of fiber, what does that look like? High fiber foods are going to be legumes, beans, nuts and seeds, and fruits and vegetables. So apples have tons of fiber, eat their skin. Just eating a wide variety of whole foods is really going to do it for you. But if you want to learn, okay, how much fiber am I actually eating? I love to use an app called Chronometer. It's a free app where you actually would type in what you you eat eat for the day and the amount that you're eating. And it's going to give you an entire nutritional profile of what you've eaten, not just the not just the protein and carbohydrates, but the actual nutrients like the iron, the vitamin B, C, D, all those things, and including fiber. So type in your current diet so you can get an idea of what's happening and then type in your improved diet you know, the way that you're kind of moving more towards. I love to eat fruit every single morning. I'm a big proponent or a big promoter of doing fertility smoothies and juicing. There is a lot of fiber in juice. A lot of people think there aren't, there isn't, but there's uh, definitely still is. Or just adding salad. So to make nutrition really simple, I teach something called the important five, and that is going to include a ton of fiber into your diet. You just add these five things to your day, regardless of how you normally eat. So if you eat um, chicken and protein and these other things, you can keep eating those. You just make sure these five things are in your diet. The first one is to drink a quart of water first thing in the morning. That's going to be huge. I know it's super basic, but it is really, really important. Um, I like to do that with lemon to help the liver to stimulate the liver in the morning. The second is to do some type of fertility smoothie. This can be with fresh fruit. This can be with frozen fruit. Really great way to get antioxidants in your diet. I always make sure to put blueberries, some type of berries in the smoothie and other fruit that you like because of the antioxidants. Also fiber. Um, The third is to eat a salad. Have one of your meals be a base of a salad. You can put whatever you want on it. You can put protein on it. If you um, are okay with cheese, those types of things, but have the base be a nice big salad, tons of fiber there. And then eating some type of leafy green vegetable 
um, in the evening or at lunch, however you want, it could be cooked. That's going to be another way to get a ton of food-based folate, which is a really important fertility mm -hmm. nutrient and um, and iron as well as fiber. So just kind of fitting those things in, you're going to have way more than enough fiber on a daily basis. Oh, I love that. That makes it really simplified and easy. It's not a whole overnight overhaul. And just those five things can make such a change. Um, yeah. And, and it's, it's also fun when you start to get familiar with these different nutrients and where they're found and it becomes like a really nice, um, a challenge. It's always, it always feels good to challenge ourselves and to hit those goals. And if we're not hitting it for a week or we're traveling or whatever, you know, it's like coming back and getting back on track and just getting back into those healthy habits that can just make you feel, um, really, really good and, and positive and confident. And so I really like that those tips are really, um, easy to incorporate into a routine. Um, what are your thoughts? Also, you had said, um, eat the skin of the apple. And I wanted to remember that because, I think that's a really important tip, even keeping the skin on a potato, like a sweet potato, instead of peeling it off. And then that got my mind thinking, oh, apples and sweet potatoes, those are carbs and carbs really get a bad rap as of late, especially with the keto diet. And yeah. everyone listening to this podcast knows that I am not about the keto diet. I love carbs, but I like to educate on the importance of how to eat carbs you know, how to combine them, the type of carbs matter, but just removing that fear. And I know that you're not a keto gal either. So can you kind of talk about the benefits of carbohydrates for fertility and how to prioritize them in a really abundant, supportive way? I love that question. Um, so I feel like when it's comes to the recent fad of carbohydrates and the way that we're viewing them, we're over absolutely oversimplifying an entire group of nutrients. So a donut is a carb, a cereal is a carb, bread is a carb, as is an apple. But if you look at them and what they're able to do within the body, they all have very different actions. One is actually medicine and can have profound effects on heart health and on your digestive system, whereas the other one is going to cause a blood sugar response and heart issues and these other things. And they come along with hydrogenated oils. So there's this whole culture around carbohydrates that's lumping something and oversimplifying is what I feel is happening. So carbohydrates are our body's fuel. If you are eating whole foods and whole food forms of carbohydrates, they aren't just carbohydrates. There is always other components found in that food. They're the perfect package of fiber to help with the digestion of those sugars, of um, proteins, of whatever nutrients it is. Also, by cutting out an entire food group of carbohydrates, you're also cutting out an entire group of nutrients such as antioxidants and different phytonutrients that are extremely important for egg health. So that's one of the biggest reasons I, well, there's a lot of reasons that I don't promote keto or, you know, people can do what they decide. That's not a diet I would ever say is pro fertility for someone who wants to support egg health because you're cutting out so many different sources of nutrition. So antioxidants, phytonutrients, and then um, we're replacing them with foods that we're trying to mimic things we miss, such as bread. So we end up making cheese bread or people end up making cheese bread or eating large amounts of bacon or these different things, which end up not having these nutrients that were needed for very specific functions within the body. So I'm a big proponent of eating 
food in the way that nature created it. Um, super simple fruits, nuts, seeds, vegetables, meats, um, pretty straightforward. We have everything we need from those. When we start having issues, the way that foods can cause issues is with inflammation. So foods that are highly processed, hydrogenated oils, oils is a major um, food that causes inflammation within the body. That's found in a lot of these what I actually consider bad carbohydrates. So processed carbohydrates. So to me, they're two totally different things. One is food and one actually isn't food. Yep. Yeah, no, such a good point. And can you touch on why when we eat carbohydrates, we feel moody? <laughs> Just the what, connection what to serotonin. So I don't know. You should tell us then because <laughs> I'm not well, sure what you're... Well, so I, one thing I just find funny is that most of us, when we cut carbohydrates, we don't feel very good because, oh yeah, you know, we, we most, I would say, I would say that 99% of people love carbs. And if they're cutting them out, it's because they've been told that they should for whatever reason. And typically when you're cutting something out and you feel restricted, you know, you're not, you're, your mood is going to be low. You're going to experience hangriness. And then serotonin can be produced from carbohydrates. So it's interesting that when you are eating more carbohydrates, especially the more nutrient rich ones, you can find that your mood is more stable, um, especially during like the premenstrual week as well. And so I know a lot of women that I speak to, it's like, I just don't, you know, I don't feel good. I'm super moody, especially before my period. And obviously there's other things that need to be, um, addressed there as well. But I find that just by adding in some nutrient rich carbohydrates that have some B6 vitamins as well, like bananas and chickpeas, um, that can really support, you know, low mood during that phase of the cycle, a little bit off yeah. tangent, but no, it's so true though. I mean, that's the feel for our brain. Yeah. You know, that's the biggest difference is, is the brain not being able to function. <laughs> right. Exactly. That your mood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I love that advice. And, um, while we're on the topic of nutrition, you mentioned your fertility smoothie. Is that something that we could put a recipe for in the show notes? There is, um, I have a ton of recipes on my website okay, uh, great. for fertility smoothies, but basically I, I like to put fruits in it, make sure that there's some type of an accent, rich berry, uh, fresh green or greens powder. And then you would put, if you want, you can put protein powder in it. Um, I generally go towards more plant-based protein powders, uh, but whatever works for you. And then a plant-based milk, um, and then that's it. Pretty simple, but it's more about fitting in more nutrients. Like you can eat a lot, you can eat kale, you can eat a lot more fruits and vegetables in a smoothie. It takes like three minutes to make. So that's something I like about it. It being a fast food, but it's still in its whole form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, add a link. I'll find one of the recipes and I'll link that in the show notes. Um, okay. I, I remember hearing you speak about Royal jelly. Is that something that you think is really beneficial for fertility? Can you touch on the benefits of that? And is that something that you could incorporate into a smoothie as well? Because I hear it is not the best tasting. Yeah. So royal jelly is really interesting substance. It's a, it's what, so when bees are making, are making other baby bees, there's the queen who's laying the eggs. The one thing that will turn that larva into a queen is that she's fed royal jelly and that she's fed that the entire time. So that's what makes her become the queen. So what we found with royal jelly is what it is, is an extremely nutrient dense substance, very, very high in B vitamins, very high in proteins, a lot of different nutrients in a consolidated form. But what 
we see with the royal jelly is that we're, it's, an, it's a way that we're able to get a lot of nutrients in a small substance. So you can take it in capsules. You can put it in smoothies. I put it in smoothies, but it's it tastes medicinal. You know, yes. you kind of get used to these things. It's kind of like you start putting green powders in your smoothies at first. You're like, <laughs> hmm. And then before you know it, you know, you get used to the taste, but you don't need a lot of it. It's very, very concentrated. Um, it also, if someone is experiencing estrogen dominance or they have low estrogen, it is a very strong phytonutrient. So this, or phytoestrogen. So I don't know if we want to talk, go into that, but phytoestrogens yeah. can actually be very supportive over for overall estrogen health if you are in excess and if you are deficient in estrogen. So when you're using a, um, a phytonutrient, um, uh, estrogenic herb or substance, what it's doing is it's going into the estrogen receptor site and it's filling that space, but it has a very weak action. Before we talked about the xenoestrogens, those have a very strong stimulating action in those receptor sites. So if we're using something on purpose or helping the body to, um, supporting the body with using a phytoestrogen, it's going to go and plug that receptor site so these stronger xenoestrogens aren't able to go in. And they're while they're in there, they have very weak uh, response in there. They're very weak stimulating response, less than what our body does. So this is a way to make it so that we can kind of block those stronger estrogens if that's what someone is experiencing. So mm -hmm. that's another component of royal jelly is it being it's a, a phytoestrogen. That's awesome. I find that so fascinating about the queen bee. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. For the phytoestrogen, can you touch on quickly some of your favorite phytoestrogen-based foods? So soy is a very popular one. Um, I like soy. So I've kind of had this relationship with soy back and forth over the years. And when I'm talking about soy, I'm talking about like tempeh and soybeans, edamame, those types of things, not soy proteins or soy supplements. Once they kind of become denatured, they can be made much stronger than their natural form. So um, soybeans are a great source. Any bean, uh, all beans and legumes are great sources. They vary in strength. Um, I also... Let's see. I think that, I mean, that's the mainly this, the main phytoestrogens that I find in foods. A lot of the ones that I work with are actually herbal-based. So like red clover uh, is a great one, milk thistle, but they're all very weak. So I'll have people reach out and say, oh no, milk thistles, you know, phytoestrogen, um, should I be concerned? And it's like, well, it's very, it's a very weak form of estrogen mm -hmm. in the body or not even of estrogen it has a weak action within the body. It doesn't contain any estrogen. Um, yeah. So herbs are really great for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. I love milk thistle. And what you said about soy, I know a lot of, a lot of people are really paranoid about eating soy if they have high estrogen. Uh, so do you have, you said, you mentioned, you know, tempeh, tofu. Um, I know edamame is another one. Is there an amount that you would suggest for someone who has higher estrogen or do you not find that to be an issue? I mean, I wouldn't go over, I wouldn't overdo it by any means. Like I wouldn't do like more than one cup of soy milk a day or, you know, those types of things like in normal usage, <laughs> normal consumption. Um, so like edamame, you know, appetizer, perfectly fine. Or like some tofu in your, your Thai food for that evening, perfectly fine. It's just once we kind of start overdoing these things that say someone might be, um, you know, plant-based, but they're everything they're eating happens to be soy-based. That's when I, I would really kind of monitor it and make sure like, let's diversify the sources of, you know, protein that we're getting from plants. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. So let's touch on 
the importance of ovulation. You had mentioned Mm -hmm. that when someone's struggling with low progesterone, obviously this is really important because it's the pregnancy hormone. It helps us take our pregnancy to term. So we want to be ovulating regularly and, um, upon ovulation is when we produce progesterone. So can you speak to the power of ovulation, even if you're not trying to conceive and ways that we can support regular ovulation as well? Okay. So there's a lot of, like we've been hearing talk, or at least, you know, a lot of books recently coming out, talk about vital signs and how the period is a vital sign. There are so many different vital signs for reproductive health. So everything that I teach, even though it's geared towards fertility and actively trying to get pregnant, it's all really for reproductive health, period, regardless to someone's wanting to get pregnant or not, because we want how our body is functioning in our fertility cycle and our period tells us so much about our health as women. So we want to have our hormones functioning properly. So if we're not ovulating, then there's a reason for that. So is it we're low in estrogen or higher this? Hormones have impacts in other aspects of our body. Like estrogen has an impact on our bone health and our uh, bone density. Hormones have impact on our chance of um, Alzheimer's or uh, dementia. You know, there's a lot of different reasons that we want our hormones to be balanced even beyond getting pregnant or having, having a baby. So that is one of the signs within the body of what might be happening. So say one of the most common reasons we find women aren't ovulating is something called PCOS. So when it comes to PCOS, there's so many other things happening that are affecting someone's health, even beyond being able to get pregnant that month, or one of the end results is not ovulating. Um, so you'd still want to address it and work on helping to balance out the body and your hormones because it affects your mood, it affects your skin, your digestion, your immune system. Um, hormones drive our emotions. So you definitely want them to be balanced because your quality of life can improve. And it also, it can affect, it can be an effect of other areas. So with someone experiencing PCOS, if they're also experiencing that, they could also have a lot of digestive issues. They could have hair growing places they may not want. There's just a lot of things that are happening um, as a result of that. So working towards hormone balance is going to be important, but the first place to start is going to be really knowing what's happening within your body. That's why I love fertility charting. There's so many cool gadgets now that you can use. Uh, Aura Ring now takes your temperature and well, there's an app that that they've partnered with. Um, So it's really, really simple nowadays to do it. And what you're going to tell when you're charting is you'll be able to look at your temperature and your temperature fluctuates based on what's happening during your cycle, based on the changes within your hormones. And that will tell you and confirm if and when you ovulate. There's a lot of people use OPK tests, but that's just going to tell you when you're about to ovulate, if you're ovulating. So you'll still get a positive OPK test if you don't ovulate. It's just telling you your fertile time. Mm. It doesn't guarantee that that's happened um, or happening. So charting will, you'll see a big dip in temperature and then a rise that confirms ovulation. You're going to know after the fact, but you'll know for next cycle, generally what day that you're ovulating. So Charting will help you to learn so much. It also will help you to know, could there possibly be a thyroid imbalance that you want to get testing for? If you have really low temperatures consistently, why not go and get your thyroid tested? Um, It's going to tell you the first half of your cycle. How long is that? If that's really short, then that's going to tell you about your estrogen and what's going on with your estrogen balance. If it's really long, then we know, oh, there could be a lot going on with estrogen here. So charting is going to tell you so much. So knowing if and when you ovulate. Now, if you're not ovulating, 
charting is going to help you because it's going to give you the information to know what to look at and why you might not be ovulating. If your temperatures are really low, okay, let's, again, let's go look at thyroid. Or if your first half of your cycle is less than 11 days, oh, we might not have be producing enough estrogen to have that period of time to mature a follicle for ovulation to occur. So you be, being curious and learning this information about your body will help to direct you. You could also obviously work with a practitioner will, who will help you through all of this. But I find it so fascinating that we can gather this information from charting and from what our periods are like. Our periods tell us a lot as well. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're not ovulating, it just it really does depend on the reason. And that's how you're going to really approach what to do. So a lot of people will say, oh, I'm not ovulating. I'm going to use Vitex. I love Vitex. It's an amazing herb, but it's not one fits all for not ovulating. You really have to understand the cause. So say you're experiencing PCOS and that's one reason uh, you have to focus in on diet. Like you could use Vitex all day long. And if you haven't focused on diet, especially if it's insulin resistance related, it's just like Vitex isn't going to do much. Uh, once you do make the dietary changes, then Vitex is amazing. So um, I know it's not like the straightforward answer. Here's the one pill you know, that fixes everything, but it's so complex. You know, hormone balance is so complex, but it's so empowering to know this about your body because it will help you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And getting tuned in and being able to track your symptoms and connect the dots is a really, really empowering feeling and it's exciting. And it really, you become like this compassionate detective into your own body. And then you start to kind of put the clues together and, and make little tweaks and changes that can make a real difference. So, um, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we have about five minutes left, but I did want to quickly, while we're on this, um, ovulation topic, what are some of the stressors that you see kind of leading to skipping ovulation? Cause I know stress plays a, a big role. That's such a great question. I think that's, uh, that's, so if you're someone who has a regular cycle and all of a sudden, like one cycle, you're like, I'm not ovulating or two cycles that generally can be stress. Once it becomes this long-term pattern, you might want to investigate even more. So I don't really get concerned if it happens once it's just once it becomes a new pattern. So, you know, what's happening with stress is our bodies are built in a way so that we can run from lions, we can run from bears, we we have our system set up. So if we are experiencing high levels of stress, we're going to pull resources from other areas of the body. The first system, one of the first systems to have resources pulled from when we are in fight or flight is the reproductive system. There's no way our body wants us to be getting pregnant if we're constantly being chased by lions. So we now have modern day lions. We have, you know, our careers and our businesses and the state of the world right now, and just all these different things. And we, our minds can kind of adjust to the level of stress. So we feel like it's normal, but our nervous systems are still these, you know, the original nervous systems humans have had. So we could be experiencing this constant stress and that can affect our hormone balance. It does so in a couple of different ways. Cortisol affects uh, FSH and LH. So those are both involved in the time period of, of ovulation occurring. It can also just affect overall cycle because the body's like, we don't need to be reproducing right now. So there's a lot of different ways that um, stress can impact it. So finding some type of tool that you use daily, that's easy, that you enjoy, not like, oh, this lady on this podcast said to do this every day and I hate doing it. Find something <laughs> you like doing because that's the whole point, whether it's hot baths or meditation or using essential oils or exercising, kickboxing, you know, whatever you're into, 
is going to be really important. And as is sleep, sleep has a really big tie to ovulation as well. And these are all, when it comes down to it, it's like, I'm telling you to eat good, drink water, get good sleep and chill out. Right. And it's like, yeah. it's, it'd almost be the same thing for any health, you know, health issue, but it's just being consistent with those things and making self-care really important and healthcare really important in your life. Yeah. And, and quickly on that, do you often advise clients to dial back on high intensity exercise if they are struggling with, you know, ovulation and fertility? It's going to depend on the type of exercise that they're doing and their lifestyle. So if someone is say an extreme, like a marathoner or they're really into extreme sports and it's actually affected their cycle that the cycle is what I would look at at feedback on how their body is responding to that type of exercise. Everyone responds to stress put on the body differently. So it would, I would see how is it showing up? How are they, are they deficient in anything? Are they deficient in iron and any of these different things because of it? Um, I wouldn't necessarily like if you're in a stage of actively trying to conceive, I wouldn't start a new hardcore sport. I wouldn't be like, Oh, let's go compete in CrossFit now, or let's go do a bikini, you know, fitness competition or, you know, anything to those extremes. I, I wouldn't say this is the chapter for that. Um, but it's going to be up to the individual and if it's really straining their body or not. Uh, cause I think it's pretty subjective what people consider to be hard exercise. <laughs> So true. Yeah. Whereas like a lot of times it's like, that's not hard exercise. And other times you're like, well, you haven't had your period for a year and that hasn't concerned you, you know? So yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that answer. And again, it comes back to tuning into your body, charting, tracking your cycle, taking notes and just seeing how those different factors, how the food that you're eating, the movement that you're getting in, the stressors that you have in your life are impacting not just your ovulation, but your premenstrual week, your moods throughout the month, just how you feel in your own skin. And so, so many great takeaways here. I could talk to you for a whole another like probably three hours and still not get through everything, but this was a really, really comprehensive, um, great place to start. And I think people are going to feel really supported. Um, I do want to ask you, uh, as one last question before we go as an herbalist, what is your favorite herb for fertility? You mentioned Vitex. I don't know if that's your favorite, but, um, yeah. Is there one that you love the most? Um, well, I'd have to say there's two different ones. One is going to be Ostra which is a nervine. So it's, it's amazing for stress, but it's not sedating. Ooh. So that's one. And then the other one is ashwagandha. So ashwagandha is a adaptogenic root that is amazing for the nervous system, but not stimulating. And it's fantastic for overall tonic for reproductive health, for thyroid health. And I love that one just because I feel like a, in our modern society, we would normally reach for the very strong things. And these are more nurturing and, and, um, nourishing over a period of time to the nervous system. Like they work today, but they also build up over time and their effects. So those are my two favorite general ones that would be really, really supportive for most people. Mm-hmm. I'm, I wrote down oat straw. I actually have never tried that before. So I'm excited to look into that. It's very pleasant, very easy to drink. Ooh, lovely. Okay. Wonderful. Um, well, any last thoughts or anything that you didn't get to share that you want to share? Um, so yeah, sure. So when I was talking about charting and you'd mentioned something, another great thing about it is when you are on your program, keep charting so you can see how it's working. So you can see what changes are happening. That's another aspect that I love about it. So you're not left in the dark. And what I would leave with is know that you, there are so many things that you can do 
even if you are experiencing fertility imbalances or issues, this all just comes down to coming back to balance and supporting your body, becoming healthier. There are definitely things that you can do just so don't ever feel like uh, hope is lost or that you only have one option that you're not comfortable with, really ask lots of questions. And if you are working with a practitioner, find one that you love and you feel supported by. You don't ever have to settle for a practitioner that talks down to you or that uh, you don't feel supported by, or that's not asking, answering your questions. So just keep looking. There are amazing ones out there. So be supported and don't feel like you have to settle. Amazing. I so appreciate that as a last message to everyone, because I myself have often felt, even though I do this work around hormones and I know things to do to support my fertility, I still have this feeling of like, is it too late for me? You know, and just this fear of what if I make a mistake? And so it's so nice to know that there's women like you doing this work and supporting us to really care for our bodies um, all year long and to not lose that hope and to not feel like we're too old because we're not, we're that it's all on us, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so wonderful support and messaging. If people want to work with you, um, share how they can connect with you, work with you and, and anything that you're offering right now that you want to promote. You can find all of my information on naturalfertilityinfo.com. I have over a thousand pages of guides to everything to do with natural fertility. So that's where you can go and read and, and see what your options are with different things. I'm very active on Instagram and TikTok. So you would find me at natural fertility info on those as well. Awesome. Yeah. I love your Instagram. I'm going to have to check out your TikTok. It's yeah, it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will put all of this in the show notes. Thank you so much, Heather, for your time. And thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for having me, Jess. Well, I truly hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it and hope that you have some things to add to your fertility boosting toolkit. I know that for me personally, I'm excited to try oat straw. It sounds like a really calming ritual to add into my routine. And so, yeah, if you, if you will share some of the takeaways that you got out of this episode and things that you're excited to add to your toolkit, you can do that by taking a screenshot of the episode and tagging us on Instagram at solo 2.0 podcast or body bliss by Jess or your hormone balance or all three. And, uh, we would love to see it and share it as well. And as always remember that even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough change doesn't happen overnight. So be patient and kind with yourself and good things will come. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.